Have you found Isaiah 5 verse 8 yet? I thought I'd just thought I'd give you some time. It doesn't sound too encouraging to begin with. Woe to you who add house to house and join field to field until there's no space left and you live alone in the land or some version of that depending on what, what reference, what translation you have. Yeah? Well, that's the message. <laughs> if you have time, well, I'd really encourage you also just to parallel to what we're going to talk about to look up uh, in your own time Matthew 23, 8 to 12, which is Jesus really having a go at the Pharisees uh, and advising his disciples not to be like them, how they love to be called uh, teacher and they love the best places and he, he turns around and says let no one be called father no one be called teacher because you're all brothers and if anyone's going to be a leader amongst you you should be servant of all that's a go, go read that that's that's more or less what he says and uh, I, I want to talk about I want to talk for a couple of weeks about leadership <clears throat> leadership in the kingdom of God and, and today I want to talk about leadership that causes you to inherit so where we're going to end up I'm trusting is is in this whole realm of inheritance that I'm realizing is such a big deal to heavenly father uh, that we have an inheritance and we all have one and it's important to him that we enjoy our inheritance that he has given us and that we receive it and uh, that we that we uh, prosper in it and that we, that, that we protect it and that we cultivate it. But in order to do all of those things, you need to know you have one, you need to receive it, and you need, therefore, to, to work with it. And uh, I want to talk to the context. This is, is leadership that helps you or leads you into your inheritance, creating an environment where your inheritance matters. So this verse, Isaiah, first eight, I'm reading through Isaiah at the moment in my, in my times of reading the scripture, and this verse just leaps out at me and, and literally kind of grabs me by the neck for days. And I'm like, this doesn't, I don't understand what's, what's important about this. And I just want to unpack for you as I kind of research, because sometimes God speaks to you like that, but then our, our, I feel like our role is then to explore, okay, get into the scripture, pray, start to say, what it, I know you're speaking, but this is big. What is it you're speaking? Give me more. Unpack it to me. So the, why is Isaiah saying, woe to you who add house to house and field to field until there's no space left and you live alone in the land? What's the problem that he's saying is happening in Israel? And, and really the picture would be like landowners, property developers, squires in the old days who who were just accumulating more and more land, adding more and more houses, so that they had this big sort of property portfolio. These are the people he's shooting at. He's saying, woe to you who are doing this. So why? So is it wrong to have more than one house or, you know, add another field? Well, you need to understand what's going on here. Why is God upset with them for behaving in this way? And... and the point is that the land, the land, the, the body of land was the promised land. It was the promise of God to his people. So in, in, in that era, the people of God were the people of Israel and his promise to them 
was that they would inherit a piece of property, all right, the promised land, which had boundaries and borders to it, okay? That was the land of promise, and they had to walk into it. They had to walk over the River Jordan and fight battles to possess the land. And every single family in the nation inherited a piece of the land that was theirs forever. All right. Now God said to them, it's actually my land, but I'm giving it to you. It's my land of promise to you. It's a land of flowing with milk and honey, and you get to possess a piece of it. Every family gets to possess a, a piece of it. And some of us, when you read the Bible, you think books like Numbers, you think all these, li- and there's loads of these lists of names, isn't there? And, 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 and you think, why is all these names? Because one of the things that's really important is that that land was connected to a family name. So if it got lost at some point, it was able to be returned to the rightful owner. So all these lists are there because your name was really important. Because your land was attached to your family name. Okay? You with me so far? So everybody got a parcel of land. So they both had their own, but it meant they were part of the bigger picture because they all owned a piece of God's land They were part of God's people, God's nation, and they were part of a tribe in God's land, but they all had a piece of it that was uniquely theirs. And it was meant to be theirs forever. And then if hardship or poverty came, you could sell your land, but it was always on the condition that the the law laid down was that you would get it back. So they had this thing called a year of jubilee, which came, came like 49 years. So the 50th year was called the year of jubilee. If you'd been sold in slavery, you were set free. If you'd sold your land, you got it back. Cool, eh? So what you could sell was the, the utility value of that land until the 50th year clocked around, and then your family got it back. So if you hit tough times, you fell into poverty, you needed to raise some funds, you sold your land, then you should sell it for the value. So if there was another 25 years to go, you got 25 years harvest value for that land. And then when the 25 years came, you got it back. It was like a lease. Are you with me? But what they were doing, they weren't doing that. So woe to you, add house to house, land to land. There were people who were just kind of accumulating They were buying from those who needed to sell, but the year of jubilee was not being, uh, it wasn't happening. They weren't implementing it. They weren't following through. So what was happening is some families were just getting more and more powerful, more and more houses, more and more land, and other people were just permanently in poverty. Now the genius plan of God in this is he redeemed the people from slavery in Israel. They had 400 years of slavery where they owned nothing, they had no power, they had to do as they told, they had no resources. They, they had come from a complete slavery mindset. Alright? This plan meant that the, you were never in poverty for more than one generation. It ensured that, that if this was followed through, Israel would never be slaves again because they always have something and even if you fell and your family fell on hard times 
the maximum amount of time would be 50 years and then it would all kick back and you'd get your inheritance and off you went again. So there was never generational poverty, never generational unemployment in Israel. That was the plan. So they never got into this place where they had no power, had no resources, they were broke and that was what their kids would experience, that's what they'd experience and that's what their grandparents had experienced. That was the plan that that would never happen again. But they didn't follow the plan. So what you had is people who grew in their resources and those that lost their resources or or their resources shrank and they began to lose their inheritance. So you had people with big fat inheritances and people with small or zero losing what God had given them in the original plan. All right, so that's why he's saying woe to you. Because the plan for the poor was that they were never permanently poor. And that those that were powerful should lend at no interest, leave the edges of their field to be, to be gleaned and harvested by those that were poor, and that they would even sell their food at no profit. So the goal, the role of the powerful was to empower the poor, not to oppress the poor. Some Bible economics going on here. This is, this isn't socialism, because everybody owns, but it's not capitalism, because Nobody's getting fat on the back of the week. It's Godism. Heaven's economics. Isn't that that's powerful? No more than one generation will be locked into. It's not as permanent locking into poverty. Um, But they weren't selling back. They were amassing greater amounts. And this is something that God didn't like. Inheritance was being lost. Connection, that actual physical connection to the promises of God for that family was being severed. That family's ability to support itself, to pass things on to its children, its children's children, was being lost because there was an unwillingness by those who amassed power to then give it back to those from whom they bought it. And the whole thing started to break down. And Isaiah is saying, God doesn't like this. He doesn't like this. The inheritances were lost. So we... I felt God started to speak to me that we mustn't structure or do things in such a way that that leaders and the powerful in the environment called the church start to amass everyone else's stuff in order for their thing to happen, but everyone else is left feeling a bit broke. So the way that we get the big thing done isn't that everybody else has to forget about their thing. You see, we're actually used to living in an environment that works like this thing that Isaiah is referring to. If you think about corporations, you think about the way economics works, it tends to work on people, capitalism is, is the goal of a capitalist is to get more and more capital and feel safer and safer and safer and have more and more stuff and it gets impersonal and gets to the point where it doesn't really matter what happens to the little guy. You can see that happen in the whole banking crisis that we've been through. So we're kind of used to 
living in environments, and, and sadly churches have been like this well, as well, is if we're going to succeed, here's the big man, here's the big vision, all other visions have to die, all their inheritances have to be put into the big thing in order for it to happen. I'm trying to apply, is it making sense to you? that? So you're used to living your life, it's like, well, what I really have is not the most important thing here, I've got to give that up for the sake of the bigger thing. And there's plenty of models around us, whether it's in business or sadly at times in church. It's interesting that Isaiah says the outcome is loneliness. He's kind of saying this was meant to be a corporate event. This was meant to be a relational thing. This is family living next to family, family knowing their inheritance, sharing with one another, and together possessing the land. The bigger promise was still in play, but it was possessed together. Everybody had a stake. No one was disenfranchised, and we did it together. This way, what was happening is you had lonely, powerful people and lonely, lonely, poor people. They're saying, you're destroying the family feel of my nation by disenfranchising people, by, by pulling them out of their inheritance and not returning it to them. <laughs> God didn't intend it to be this way. Where you have one powerful person who others serve regardless of what their true identity or inheritance is. God was ensuring that never again would his people experience perpetual servitude. So never should we create structures and environments that effectively produce servants with no connection to their own identity inheritance. So if you get robbed of your spiritual inheritance, you start to become more and more... So we can talk about having our identity as sons, but if we create an environment that actually robs you of your inheritance, you're going to end up in a slavery environment. And vice versa, or on the other way around, if you believe that you don't have any inheritance, you'll be happy to be a slave. And you'll look for structures that work for slaves and servants because that's the only way you know how to be. Just just park that thought. Everyone is meant to be free in their tribe, in their family, but everyone is meant to be free, able to be fruitful, able to be self-supporting, feel a sense of ownership for the whole because they possess part. One of the feelings that people have disconnection from church life is because they don't know which bit of it they own. So we can exhort you to own the big picture, but if you don't own your part, it's very hard to own the whole in a realistic way. I'm going to say that again because that was... You feel a sense of ownership of the whole because you possess the part. You know your inheritance in the bigger thing. And I I, I believe that the poverty of spirit that has been in the church has meant a loss of identity and inheritance and that so the subsequent adoption of models that reflect that. 
So if you don't know who you are, you'll answer to any name. And if you don't know what your assignment is, you'll do any job. And in that position, we look for those that lead us in a way that we're told what to do rather than empowered to hear from heaven what to do. So actually we then perpetuate it because we, we feel this kind of orphanness. And the more we experience the presence of God, the less we feel like orphans and the more we feel like sons, the more powerful we start to feel and we start to think we can't do it the way we used to do it. Powerlessness leads to lethargy and laziness. Not because you're lazy, it's just you don't know how important you are. And you don't know how significant your bit is for the whole bit. If you're feeling disconnected, something's either happened to your inheritance or your identity or both. So what's the environment for healthy inheritance? What what are we... I think we're trying to create... I think inheritance is really important to God. Even if in Ephesians 1, I think it is, it says that his inheritance is in the saints. So God has an inheritance, and it's you. This, this thing, this inheritance... And Teresa kicked it off a few weeks ago. She talked about Redwoods. If you've not listened, it's good for you to... It's on the, on the website. A sense of passing on our inheritance from generation to generation. And I'm not going to get in she did such a good job on that but that is connected to this idea because if we do the model that Isaiah is speaking against all you do is a few people get to pass on big inheritances and lots of people all they do is they, the next generation just has to start all over again again and that's what church life has been like for a long time we don't gain momentum we just simply start over and that's changing, and that needs to change. We need to be able to pick up and build on what has come to us from the generations before us. Okay, so you, you, you're tracking with me so far. D- do more than a nod, would you? Just, just, just kind of need a moment of... Here we go. So what's the... Number one is that you realize you got something. And what you got is vital to the whole. The way they possessed the whole promised land was that every family possessed part of the promised land. The way we're going to see revival cover Scotland and the UK and and beyond is that every believer possesses their inheritance and then we inherit the whole. I believe that's a sustainable way Otherwise, you look to one person who's got a massive inheritance and we all go, yay! And then we all go home and it lasts for a while. I think this is incredibly exciting. We, we went for dinner. Um, we went for dinner at, at Sonia and a flat on Friday night. And Dee, isn't it? Your flatmate. And uh, we're having a great dinner. And uh, I said to us, you know, in the other room, there's a well. This is a first floor flat, so wheels are beginning to turn. 
And I'm like, there's a well. You mean a spiritual well? Oh, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a spirit well. And trees are like, cool, we've got to see this. So we go in there, and, and there's this place in this room, and as soon as you get near it, you get whacked by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> we were having a nice dinner, chit-chat. So Teresa's kind of, when she gets whacked by the Holy Spirit, all her limbs go heavy, she sits down and then she falls over. That's kind of the process pretty consistently. I've seen it happen to her over and over. When, when the Holy Spirit touches me, I kind of have various versions of shakes. And we, Teresa was falling over, I was shaking, and then they came in the room and, the, and, and we ended up sitting in this well. It felt more like a Holy Spirit jacuzzi by the time we were done. And... Uh, and we were reading, we were reading Isaiah 42, and the Holy Spirit was on us, and I'm, I'm, I'm like, wow, that's an inheritance right there. Every home should have one. <laughs> In fact, every home can have one. That's your inheritance. You know, the number one inheritance of the believer is the presence of God. The tangible, feelable, knowable presence of God on your life, in your life, in your family, in your workplace, you are, you get to inherit the presence of God. So wouldn't it be cool? I've been one other place, um, Stephen Anderson, <coughs> oh, his, name, his wife's name got out of my head, Helen, has a room in their offices and he said, do you want to come, I went to see him one day, do you want to come in here? And it was Helen's prayer room. The only thing that goes on there is prayer, worship, and soaking in his presence. And as soon as you go in the door, it's like, whoa, there's nobody in there. Well, there is. <laughs> and it's like, he's just there all the time waiting for her or whatever. It's just like, whoa, you can fill a room with his presence permanently. What would it be like? If your house got a well and your house got a jacuzzi and your house got a swimming pool in the spirit, all over the city, all over the nation, they all start connecting up. Suddenly, the earth is full of the glory of the Lord like the waters cover the sea because his presence is everywhere. Because you're there because you got your inheritance back. They were telling me stories like they come home from work and it's just like Heavenly Father greets them as they walk in the door because his presence is in their flat all the time whether they're there or not. That's an inheritance. <laughs> so let me just, because we need to crack on with it. What, what is your inheritance? Some of us need a bit of help to figure out what this is. We're not used to this kind of thinking. So, <laughs> so here's, here's, here's number one. Your gifts and calls so they're a bit like the inheritance in the Old Testament because Paul says the, the gifts and calls of God are irrevocable. He says that in Romans. It's just like the inheritance. That was meant to be given to them for their family forever. What God gives you and promises you, your gifts and calls are, are like that. They, they're forever. Nothing can rip them away. Nothing can take them away. But there are ways sometimes where we kind of lose them. We lose connection with them. We don't know what they are. Do you know what I mean? But if you got called, you got gifted, and everybody does, that's forever. You never broke your life so much that that went away. And Proverbs 20 verse 5 says, The purposes of a man's heart are like deep water, but a man of understanding draws it out. 
Well, it's in the Bible, but I can say it again, yeah. (laughs) Proverbs 20 verse 5 says, The purpose of a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. Some of us need the, a lot of us really need the right environment to get connected to what's really in us. We don't just want to put it all out there. In fact, without the right environments, for a lot of us, we don't know what's in us. This is corporate. It's in there. It's been planted in there from before the foundation of the world. God puts something amazing in you. But you need the right environment to discover you. We, we, we were, we were in a, having a chat the other night with Mark and Lydia and we had this amazing holy moment it was just like the lights went on for me and they just said well we this has been our life and this will always be our life we, we, would, we would sacrifice anything for worship and they, they both said it and they both like this is the agreement of their heart the heart of their family is we would give anything and we've given everything and we will do it again for worship. And we're like, whoa. That was the depth of their heart coming out. We need to cheer that on. We need to surround that with encouragement. That's got, we already know the fruit of that in our midst. But do, do you see what it, the depths of in them? But for some of us, we've, we've got so diverted and diluted or the demands of life or church or actually our passion. We're not connected to our passion. We're doing the doing without being the being. I'm going to say that again as well because Jan said it was good. We're doing the doing without being the being. But he's made you to be something. You have an internal inheritance. And the vital nature of a prophetic culture is to call that out. Out! (laughs) I woke a few people up. Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) So when we talk about calling out the gold, this this isn't just, I spotted that you're a really nice person. This is people being sensitive to the Holy Spirit to say, I see this treasure in you and I'm calling it out. And, and, and this dream that's in you, we're not going to despise it. We're going to cheer it on. We're not going to think you're nuts for doing it. We're going to say, isn't that an amazing dream? So we move away from a critical culture to an encouraging prophetic culture. It's like, well, you know, and you find this. You go around and people start to say to you, uh, you know, I, I had this angel in my room. And you can see them go, which category are you going to put me in right now? Is this, is this church leader safe to talk about manifesting angels? And then you go, oh yeah, I had an experience like that too. Isn't it cool? And you go, oh, well, I also had and that. Oh, well I, well, I never had that, but that's really cool. And then, you know, I had this open heaven experience and blah, 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 blah. And suddenly it all starts to pour out of them because they know it's safe because you're not being critical or think they're nut jobs or... So we, change, we need a culture that calls out the goal, gold, identifies it prophetically, because that's pulling out these deep stuff that's deep waters in our heart, so that we recover and connect to our inheritance. 
and create this culture of being more than doing. It doesn't mean we don't do doing. It just means the doing comes from passion, not obligation. Because you're connected to your being. Tough to do, easy to say, but we're going for it. I think connected to this, it's not just your gifts and call, but the nature and something. This has been, I believe, putting it out there for you to think about, that the inheritance, the church in the UK has been robbed of its inheritance. And what we believe about who we are and what we have is much more shaped by our experience and what we think is sensible to believe given how small we now are. All right, so all the stats are like we're getting smaller and smaller and smaller. So then we read things in the Bible that are obviously plain and true. We say that can't be true because, and there's a lot of talk, uh, recent surveys. Who cares about surveys? I mean, they're useful, but they don't tell me about who I am or where we're going. And they don't tell you about who the church is. So, you may have a different Bible to me, but my Bible tells me that the meek inherit the earth. And I know I keep going on about this, and some of you are like, oh, here he goes again, we're going to change the world. I'm going on about it because this is true. And the stuff we believed before is a lie. Like, we're just little, we're not important, let's keep quiet because we're the Christians, we're smaller, we're shrinking. That is telling you something that isn't true about you. You have been born to change a planet. I have been born to change the world. That's fundamental to the inheritance of every believer and the church. The welfare and well-being of our nation rests on us. Everything else is a secondary. And it's interesting that Matthew 5, 5, which is, Blessed are the meek, for they only inherit the earth. Remember, it's meek, not weak. It's actually a quote, but it's been changed. It's a quote from Psalm 37, 11, which says the meek will inherit the land. So it's a direct reference to, remember the land, the promised land? So then it was the meek will inherit this piece of land. Then Jesus gets hold of it and he says it and says the meek are going to inherit the earth. So what was land in the old covenant becomes the, the planet in the new. Abraham's the same. In, in Romans 4.13, you can study this out for yourself. It says the promise to Abraham and his offering was that he would be heir of the world. Now, I know it was said that from him kings would come and nations, but actually his inheritance was this strip of land. But when it gets quoted in the new covenant, the inheritance is the planet. Our inheritance is the whole thing. Which bit do you want? Do you see what I mean? Just lifting our gaze, go, well, we're here. We're, we're, we're the, the hope of the nation. We are the healers, the wisdom carriers, the nation changers. That's who we are. Not who we've been told we are. That's who we are. And the, huh, That's good enough for now. Then there's actual inheritances. God started to speak to me about this. I think we're getting robbed of what I mean is land and money that we inherit. 
this is really important. You know, what I'm, this verse I'm talking about was actually about land and money. And it's interesting, when Jesus stood up, you know, in Luke 4, he said, uh, I've come to pronounce, um, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to bring good news. The first thing he says is good news to the poor, and then sight to the blind and release the oppressed and the captives. And then he says, and announce the favorable year of the Lord, which is a reference to the year of Jubilee, which is the time when you get all your land back and all the and all the slaves are set free. So what they would have heard with their background is, oh, the way the poor are going to get released is that Jubilee is going to be restored. I believe that some of you in poverty are going to get released because Jubilee is happening and you are going to get a physical inheritance that has been lost, denied, delayed, is coming to you. Some land, some property, some money, some deed, something else is going to break free out of this morning so that you get your inheritance. And, and fourthly, we've mentioned this, your inheritance is from your f- spiritual forefathers, the stuff that Teresa was talking about in a sort of a, the picture of the redwoods and how they function. All right, we, we're coming into land. Are you ready? Buckle up because you're going to need this. So the environment that we are seeking to create is one that you can, number one, you you know you have an inheritance and you're beginning to identify what are your gifts and calls. What is our inheritance as as the people of God, This, this, this planetary inheritance? And we start to believe that rather than thinking, oh, it's just Andy off on one again. We... We actually rise to this wider vision of who we are and what we're called to do. And that we start to receive our inheritances, our physical inheritances. Jesus came and he announced a permanent year of Jubilee. The Spirit is on him to release the oppressed, etc., etc., and announce. He said, I proclaim, I declare. That's what he said. I'm not promising it to you. I'm saying it's happening. And what's happening, he says, is the year of Jubilee is permanently... It's not like, oh, he said it in that one year, if you missed the year. I've said some people prophesy that. Next year is a year of Jubilee. And, but then you could think, darn, if I miss next year... Now, what he inaugurated was, uh, was permanent jubilee for the people of God. The presence of the Spirit brings permanent jubilee. What that means is if you get your inheritance lost, stolen, you can always get it back because the anointing's here. If you get sold into slavery of something in your life, you get into bondage, you can always get free because the year of Jubilee is always here because the Spirit is here and Jesus declared it. So if you're stuck, you're broke, you're bound, today is always the day when that can change. Where you can say, that's mine and I'm having it back. Thank you very much. I believe today is a day of Jubilee. Today is a day where calls and inheritances, physical inheritances, dreams and visions, hopes and dreams get restored back to your life because the Holy Spirit is here. And it's a Jubilee day. Everything that's yours gets come back to you. 
You just needed to know you could have it. <laughs> and that means tomorrow is that day as well. So it's like, oh, darn, I missed the Sunday that they did that. <laughs> it was a good week and I missed it. No, <laughs> Tomorrow is a day of jubilee. It's a day to get your inheritance back. Reclaim who you are. And, and finally, your inheritance, once you have it, you need to cultivate it. God gave Adam and Eve an inheritance. Gave them a beautiful garden. And what he said to them is, cultivate and keep it. So he gave them this fruitful place and said, cultivate and keep it. Every one of you gets to cultivate. Every one of you gets to bear fruit. Every one of you has something to cultivate and keep. And I do believe that lethargy and laziness and disconnection happens not because, well, I'm just lazy or I'm just this. It happens because we're disconnected from who we are and what we have. We forget that we're part of this great plan and that we have a proper stake in it. And there is an appeal to selling your stuff off and becoming returning to be a servant because then you can always blame everybody else for what's going on. All right, so the opposite to cultivate and keep is, is, is to sell out and abdicate. And, be, and, and that's where we, we move into sort of victim mode rather than powerful person mode. Cultivate your gift. Cultivate your dream. Cultivate your job. Cultivate your property. Cultivate your finances. Cultivate your family. They're all part of your inheritance. You think, well, I don't want this bit that I've got now. I'd like a fancier one. Well, if you cultivate the one you have, you get a bigger one. Manage what you have. It's a day of restoration. I believe today, as well as tomorrow, but today is a day of restoration of call, of inheritance. So I don't know how he's going to do it, but some of you, we're going to do something in a minute, and you're going to get reconnected to an actual physical inheritance that didn't know you had or got delayed or got mislaid. Some of you are going to reconnect to your gift and call. Can 